Hey there, Chip Close here, host of the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. By now, I'm sure you heard I wrote a book. It's called The Restaurant Marketing Mindset. You can get that book anywhere uh, online. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, just could do a quick Google search. You will find it available. I would love your support uh, to go uh, get the book, check out the book, read the book. Uh, I'm really proud of it, really proud of the content in there, and I think it's going to change your business. If you want to go to our website and get it from me personally, you can get a signed copy. Go to therestaurantmarketingmindset.com. Uh, you can order it from there. It'll get to you in just a matter of a couple days and again uh, that'll give you a signed uh, that'll give you a signed copy and make sure to come back because today I'm sitting down to chat with Hans Lutman. Hans is a restaurateur he is a partner at Rosso Blue in Los Angeles he's now helping to run operations at Veronica in New York City uh, we get into so much uh, over the course of this conversation you're going to get a ton out of it don't go anywhere there's an old saying that goes something like this you'll only find three kinds of people in the world those who see those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated solely to helping you build a more profitable restaurant. Each week, I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build that more profitable and more sustainable business. I also work directly with owners and operators all over the world through my P3 Mastermind program. Currently, we've got more than 100 people enrolled in the program spread across three different mastermind groups. The program works if you've got a successful restaurant doing over a million dollars a year, you've been open at least a year, but you're struggling to generate consistent, predictable 20% profits, then please get in touch. Set up a free strategy session with me or someone from my team. Visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. We'll learn more about you and your restaurant. You'll learn more about the program. Ask questions about the program. Let's see if you're a good fit for the program. If we both feel like you're a good fit, we'll talk about the next steps and we'll go from there. Again, best way to get started is to visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. And yes, you'll find that link in the show notes. Now, we all know managing costs is one of the most important parts of running a profitable restaurant, especially now. But between fluctuating vendor prices, waste, labor, and the never-ending list of tasks that demand your attention on a daily basis, it can be challenging for even the most experienced of us to manage costs well. That's where Margin Edge comes in. Margin Edge is a complete restaurant management software that automatically uses data from your POS and invoices to show you your food and labor costs in real time. Don't wait until it's too late. Margin Edge gives you tools to make decisions in the moment, like a daily P&L, price alerts on key ingredients, and real-time plate costs, all without ever having to touch a spreadsheet. Take control of your costs, work more efficiently, and be more profitable. Learn more at marginedge.com chip, and yes, you'll find that link in the show notes. Now, as I said at the top, my guest on today's show is a gentleman named Hans Lutman. He is restaurateur. He is a partner at Rosso Blue in Los Angeles. Uh, he's also uh, overseeing operations at Veronica Restaurant right now in New York City. He's been in this industry for a very long time like me. He took the side door. He's got a ton of insights to share. I can't wait. We're going to get into so much over the course of this conversation. But first, got to welcome him to the show. Hans, it's great to have you. Thank you, Chip. Pleasure to be here. I want to start at the beginning because uh, it's a very good place to start. Um, tell me how you originally got into the industry. What 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 got you into it? What sparked your interest? What made you think, yeah, I, I want to do this? Well, that's that's fantastic. I, I love that question, and I think you and I have had some similar um, uh, pathways into this and a side door, um, if you want to call it that. But I, I, you know, when when you ask that question, what really flashed into my mind is my my mother's kitchen table. To be honest with you, that's that's kind of where I started. And um, and as I meditated on the whole um, podcast this morning, it's kind of where I where I want to go. And what I mean by that is just um, the nurturing and um, the love of the kitchen table. Um, my mom doing her due diligence cooking and me being there to assist her. I was her sous chef and also her, her busboy. Um, and there was just a natural, um, love that, that kind of, I felt in that moment and continue to feel in the dining room and in, in the restaurant. Um, 
in the restaurants, plural. I, I would say um, how I got into it is, uh, you know, just starting as a teenager, looking for a gig, working at Pizza Hut, um, dishwasher there uh, at school, mm -hmm. um, at, at University of Michigan. Um, I was the steward of the fraternity house, which meant I looked over the kitchen. I don't even know how I ended yeah. up with that gig, but somebody had to take that gig yeah. and, I, and I took it yeah. and it was a break on rent and it was just an opportunity to have the keys to the kitchen, which helped with, with some of the guys late night. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I, I, I started this, this path of, of pursuing um, the arts, uh, writing, acting, theater, film, and um, and it was something that I could do, um, you know, bang for buck, work at night. Um, but, but more than that, Chip, I was really good at it. I was good at it right from the beginning. Yeah. Just had an innate sense of, of how to multitask and take care of people. I want to drill deeper into that. And what you just said here is that you, you just you had an innate sense of it and uh, an ability to multitask, which we don't spend enough time talking about. Um, which yeah. is a which is a key piece to I think how you succeed in this business, whether you're at the bar on the floor or back on the line, um, and this idea of uh, being able to take care of people, and I think one further is wanting to take care of people. In this country, at least, service is sort of a, a, a second or third level citizen, right? So secondary citizens, they're, they're the help, right? And I think when you go to Europe, certainly, um, service uh, the service industry is a really desired path. It's a very um, noble path to go and take care of people. And not so much and not so much here, right? Is that, you know, we aspire to get taken care of. Um, and I think that does us a huge disservice because I think there are a lot of great jobs available out there um, with a relatively low barrier of entry with tons of growth opportunity. I think you and yes. I are probably two testaments to that. You know, I started, you started off washing dishes uh, in a pizza place. I started off folding pizza boxes. Uh, and, and washing the uh, and, and washing the giant uh, mixing bowls um, at the at the end of the shift. Uh, it's a very uh, humble beginning, but to see where I was there at the age of fourteen, fifteen, to to where I'm at now at the age of forty three, um, and, and all that I've accomplished, um, all that I've opened, that that's that's pretty amazing. Um, and yeah. I, I didn't go to any specialized school. I just sort of kept my ears open, kept my eyes open, listened, applied myself, all of that. Talk about what else makes a good what other qualities do you feel like are helpful or what qualities do you look for when you're hiring people um, who may not have the resume? What, what, what are the qualities you think make them innately good at, at, at um, this at this business? Yeah, I, I, I tend to um, hire around the, the core values or the brand values. And, and I bring that to the interview and I shape my questions to find out. You know, do you have the entrepreneurial spirit that I'm going to need? I was interviewing a, a woman that I work with now who's an all-star, and she she has her own business. You know, she, she works with vintage clothing. She understands what it takes um, in the preparation to get the sale online, you know. Um, mm -hmm. and, so uh, once I found that about her, another guy was interviewing and just, you know, uh, the Simon Sinek, the why. His big why was family. Like, I'm working for my family. I have two kids. I need to bring, you know, boom. That was that was an instant hire. Yeah. And, and prior to that, you know, the, the interview was a little bit shaky. I, I just, you know, he wasn't dressed for the, the part, you know. He didn't know enough mm -hmm. about. But once I heard family, I was like, okay, this this is what I'm looking for right now. So uh, I bring in uh, my core values or the brand values of whichever company I'm working for. You know, currently it's it's curiosity. Um, I'm looking for a joyfulness from somebody who enjoys actually doing this work, um, and um, confidence. You know, that's another thing that we we talk a lot about in the current place that I'm working. How, so talk to me about, I like those two words, curiosity and confidence. Um, and I would agree with you. Uh, when I started, I had tons of one and none of the other, right? Yeah. So I, 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 was, <laughs> I was very curious because I didn't know anything. Um, yeah. But I didn't have confidence because I didn't know anything. How That's do you right. match those two? Because it seems to me like they're, um, 
like they can often be out of balance. And again, sort of pulling on my own experience. How, how do you how do you dig down for those things or um, how do you how do you test for those? Yeah, I think it's, you know, a, an energy thing of just humility. You know, it, it, it really is. Um, the curiosity is, is I want to know more. Um, how can I learn more? And, um, you know, my personal journey, and it's still happening right now, is I consider myself a learn-it-all, not a know-it-all. And sometimes I kind of do myself a disservice in, in, in just, like, um, not claiming what I know in a very powerful um, way. My way is kind of the softer, gentler way. And um, it is more about like, what can I learn? And, and what questions can I ask? I mean, I'm right now I'm going through this process of what's the big question, you know, because everybody I'm around uh, seems to have all the answers. And, and I'm not convinced, <laughs> you know, so hmm. what I'm convinced is there's a lot of questions that we need to be asking. And um, so, you know, in terms of um, curiosity and confidence melding, it's like the more curious you are, the more you find out, the more confident you can be. And that's just going to come from straight up humility and not faking it and not um, pretending, you know, you, know, you would know as a server when you get there and the, the, the guest asks the question you don't know, please allow me to find out for you. I don't know that right now. Yeah. Please allow me. As opposed to let me BS my way through this thing, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. it's you can either take the 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 short road, um, you know, or the, or the 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 long the long road, and you know you take the long road because it's easier, you know, and it's it's yeah. faster at the end of the day. Yeah. So, yeah. Talk to me. I mean, this conversation, and and I love that we we started here and that we've gone down this path because this gets into our people and. Ours mm. is a people business. I always say we buy from people, we sell to people. We hire people yeah. to sell on our behalf. It's Ours yeah. is a people business. That's why it's so expensive. It's why it's getting more and more expensive because uh, people get paid at every step in the supply chain, and uh, we can't do nearly as much as we think we can do with machines. We, we can't. Um, we, even if we use machines, we need machine, We need people to program the machines, upkeep the machines, uh, oversee the machines, and close out after the machines are done doing what they do. Um, ours is a ours is a people business. Um, over the last, I'll say three years since the pandemic, we've had this people issue. But I'll I'll put an asterisk there and say I, I'll remind people that 2019 we also couldn't find people either. It was very very hard. <laughs> Yeah. Talk to me. And people forget. We, we forget. We think this is just something out of the pandemic that people were getting, you know, paychecks to stay at home, which might have a little truth to it. But, man, it was really hard even in 2019 to find people. Even if you could find people, they didn't last more than three or four shifts. I can attest to that to the at the places where uh, the place where I was working and the companies I was working with. Let's mm. talk about people and let's talk about the the 30,000 foot view of where this industry is at. Why is it so hard to find people? Why is it so hard to keep people? And how do you navigate that? And where do you think we go from here? You know, um, that was one of the things that came up a lot in the pandemic for me. And um, uh, almost every guest that came in as they were they were getting to come back in um, was asking me, boy, it's hard to find people, isn't it? I was like, I said, no, it isn't. It isn't hard for me to find people. I went to my team. Um, and they came off of unemployment to come and work for me. And, and I had no guarantees of where it was going to go. All I had for them were gloves, masks, sanitizer. We're going to run with like five or six of us and we're going to run crazy. Who's in? And to a person, they all said they wanted to be in. I have had yep. no, no problem with the people that I've been able to hire personally when i inherit a group then then it's a little bit of a challenge because uh, i don't know what the parameters were for those people being hired i don't know if there was reference checks that's a thing that i've insisted on the new place that i've worked at i was like has anybody checked any of these references because the way this person's shown up it's it's uh it, it doesn't look like we did our due diligence but but we're doing right. that now so i would say you know, and this is what I think about the future, and this is what I think about the present. It's a people business, like you say, and we need to take care of our people. And the people have to be empowered to, to lead, and that's the managers, and that are the 
the the people in the dish pit and from from snout to tail you know what i when i was meditating on this conversation it's it's about internal marketing you know we're, we're talking so much about external marketing but how am i going yep. to sell you the company objectives the passion for the the products and the services that we provide that's my job you know is to sell you on the vision you know and get you pumped up about it and get you engaged in it and get you to where you need to be and and that's got steps to it and one is uh you know selling you on the idea of doing what's good for the world right now you know what i mean i, I know that you want to mm -hmm. be on that way i know that you want to write that script i know that you're waiting for that audition um or you have your vintage uh clothing business but in the meantime, let's do what you're good at, because you're sensational at this, and I believe in you. And let's do something good for the world. And that's been my own personal thing, too, because I didn't come into this like wanting to be um, the hospitality guy. I didn't come into it wanting to work in this industry that bothers me almost all the time. Um, yeah. But I got a point to prove. And that, pro that proof is in the pudding is that People are great. And so at my restaurant in L.A., Rosso Blue, they all came back. And then the second circle came back. And I just went to visit there uh, two weekends ago. And almost everybody I hired, I, I'm going to say 95% of the people are still there because we take care of them and we care about them and we listen to them. How do you – so talk to me about how we take care of our, of our people. And I want to get as specific as we can here. Part of that conversation um, – I want to get into this thing, and I just did a podcast episode about this, about how I believe there are two different kinds of people who work in the restaurant, right? They're front door people and side door people. Front door people yep. are the people who want to do this, live and die for it, went to school for it. They're going to do it no matter what, right? And I think that's about 20% of the people who work for us. I really do believe. The other 80% are people who took the side door, who are doing this as a means to an end, as a day job, yep. as, a, as a second job. And I think, I think we haven't spent enough time acknowledging that fact that 80% yeah. of the people that work for us don't care about this industry, don't care about this restaurant. They'll go do anything as long as they can, you know, make good money and limit their work and take care of their family and all that. And that's not a dig at any of them. Cause that was me for a very, very right. long time. Um, I didn't, I didn't care about it. And uh, right. So, and even like you said, I mean, certainly in Los Angeles, uh, you get a lot of, I'm sure, comics and actors and models and screenwriters and people who are doing this to pay their bills so that they can continue to do what brought them to L.A., which is to do those creative pursuits. So talk to me about those two different kinds of people and talk to me about how you cater to those kinds of people. And then talk to me specifically about how you take care of uh, how uh, your staff in, in the way that you've been able to. Yeah, um, I, I think what the commonality is um, that everybody wants to self-realize, you know. So the self-realization that is available to us in the particular platform that we are engaged in um, and the skill set. I, I got an opportunity in 2015 to step into a new line of work, um, and that was um, uh, working with uh, film distribution. And I, and I got in there, and I was intimidated because all these guys were talking business language, and then they were, you know, and all I was was a hospitality guy. But what I quickly learned is that man, these guys got to learn hospitality because what happened was that one day the, the, the client didn't get what they wanted and the first reaction from the leadership team was, well, F that guy, you know? I'm like, no, guys, we overcooked the steak, you know? We overcooked the steak. Yeah. Now we got to recook this steak. We got to get... So I got on the phone with the guy, won back the client, you know? All of a sudden, I used all of my skill sets that I'd learned in hospitality and I became the leader of that team after a pretty short while because I knew sales. I knew people. I knew how to take care of people. And it put me at a huge advantage of these guys who were just sitting around, you know, doing a lot of business speak. Um, right. So I'll tell that to my team. I'm like, here is your current platform to learn, um, to engage, to to start to learn about, 
the mindset of, of what you need to do as an entrepreneur or, or an intrapreneur. Um, that's kind of how I've been really seeing myself as of late. I'm an intrapreneur. I'm in this business and I'm trying to um, shape the business initiative that we have in front of us and to make it the best it can be. And that is my, that is my work, you know? Um, yeah. So I think it's selling people the idea of um, self-realization, selling the group on like, hey, we're going to work together and we're going to win. It's, it's a team mentality. And then I get that mm -hmm. from just being an, an athlete most of my life and, and bringing the guys in and, hey, you need to get some rebounds today. You know, <laughs> you're yeah. going to need to. Like, one of, yeah, you know, it's funny. One of my favorite books and what you just said sort of uh, reminded me of this. One of my favorite books of all time uh, is a book by Daniel Pink. It's called Drive. And yeah. have you ever read it? Yeah, yeah. I love Pink. Yeah. And so he talks about, um, you know, extrinsic factors and intrinsic factors and he's and he's talking about how we motivate people and i think it, it directly applies to um to what we do as leaders in our industry and if there's anybody listening to this uh, show that has not heard me mention this before uh, i apologize because i used to talk about it all the time uh and then i felt bad because i talked about it all the time and so i forgot about mm -hmm. it um, but i'm happy to bring it back up here daniel pink was researching motivation how, how do we motivate people and again, in a post-pandemic world, this has direct applications to what we do. And he says mostly how we've motivated people in the past is either the carrot or the stick, meaning we dangle the carrot and say, if you do what I want you to do, you'll get rewarded. Or we threaten the stick. So if you don't do what I need you to do, you will get punished. And that's always our first thing, right? We, we either offer a bonus or we threaten, uh, we threaten termination. And what he says is that, uh, you know, there's all this research out there um, that says um, uh, that says actually, how do we explain uh, you know self self motivated people? And he uses examples. For example, a puzzle. He's like, why do we do a puzzle? We do the puzzle for the sheer challenge of it. Why do we play video games? Video games are so popular right now. Um, not just I mean, at all different you know genders and cross section of ages and all that. But why would people play video games? There's nothing they get except for the the challenge and the joy of achievement. And mm. he says we can apply those things. And he said to, to uh, disregard those, to not at least acknowledge that there are uh, there are things that we do that make no earthly sense. Why we would spend money on clothes when we work so hard for our money, and then yeah. we go spend it on stuff that we we already have clothes. We don't need more clothes unless we have worn out our shoes unless our, our pants get ripped. But most of us have the luxury of having half a dozen pants, a dozen pairs of pants. We don't need yeah. more pants. We could be totally fine with the 11 pairs that we have left if the 12th one ripped. And yet we do it. We, we continue to do that again and again, understanding why people do things, um, which sort of speaks to what you're talking about here about you know self-realization, self-actualization, um, yes. empowering them to be the best they can be. I, I got this from my dad. Um, at a very early age, which is you may not want to do this, but you're going to you're going to do your absolute best at it. I, I love baseball, but I wasn't very good at it. And so the longer I played it, I was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. He said, well, you're going to do it. You're going to finish out the season. You do the best you possibly can here. And that applied to me in my restaurant job because I just thought I, I don't want to be doing this. And in my head, I just heard my dad and I said, well, if I have to do this, which I do. I might as well be the best at it that I can be. And that was just sort of woven into me at a very young age. So is that is that part of it is that how do and then how do you if it is how do you the nuts and bolts how do you um how do you anchor that or, or make that happen every day how do you fortify that in training how do you how do you make that apparent um how do you make those expectations apparent throughout the interview and training process yeah that you know the pre-shift meeting you know let's get together let's huddle up let's talk about what we need to do today but it's um you know, the, the, the reason, uh, you know, we, we had this connection, I think, on Instagram because I responded to what was so great you shared and you share so much great stuff. But the one thing you were talking about was Jim Collins and all, all, um, all of our problems mm -hmm. are leadership problems. And um, God, I, I believe in that so, so, so much, you know, and um, yep. So it's it's up to the leader to inspire people. I'm 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 tired of this thing like, hey, you showed up for work, you just do your job. There's the stick, right? There's the stick. You do it. Yeah. That's right. And I lived that's under right. that for a very long time. And I'll tell you, that's why I didn't like being in this business. Because in the nineties, when I was going to work, I felt like 
I might get in a fight tonight with somebody there, you know, like physical. Yeah. You know, I felt like, you know, you're in the kitchen, you you turn the wrong corner, there's a guy there, you know, like it was scary. It was a scary place. It was strange and so wild. And I love that you I love that you said that because I feel the same way. I felt like <laughs> and I find it we're at a very interesting crossroads here. Those yep. of us who were raised in the industry a certain way, and you were raised in a very similar way that I was raised, right? A lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, high pressure. We've got to do it or else, right? Big bonuses and big punishments, you know, lots of carrots, lots of sticks, all of that. And I think all of us who came through vowed to do something different and said, well, we shouldn't have to work that way. And I, when I own my place or when I run my own place, I'm going to run it differently. And the problem now is we run around saying people are so lazy. People are this. They just do, they don't want to work hard. They don't want to show up, et cetera, without acknowledging the fact that we wanted to make a change. We didn't like the way it was when we came up. And so we said, man, when I get right, we all do this as, you know, as, uh, as children, when we become parents, we say, man, I don't want to, I want to, I want to do more for my kids. I want to raise my kids differently. Every generation has done this. But when we, when we don't replace it with something, what's left is a vacuum. And what I fear is that, so the previous generation, at least they were doing something. They took ownership of it and said, I'm going to offer big bonuses and big punishments, right? And I'm going to, I'm going to keep people in line. And yep. then this generation, we didn't replace it with anything. We said, hey, listen, we're not going to do all these great bonuses because I don't want people to, you know, get stuck on that. I don't want to pay that. I don't want to, I don't want to punish people and scream and yell and all of that. But there's nothing else there. We didn't replace it with anything and now we're walking around talking about how our people are so are so lazy. And in Jim <laughs> Collins' book, Good to Great, he talks about how a great leader always looks in the mirror first before they look out the window. They blame themselves and, and they take an honest look at themselves because all of our problems are, are our fault, our responsibility. And I think it's healthy if we start that way. And in the, the video you're talking about, I said, you know, tired of people saying, you know, my people are so lazy. I just can't, you know, they just won't show up to work. They won't do what I want them to do. And the natural question that Jim Collins would ask is, well, why did you hire a bunch of lazy people? Well, why did you train them? Why didn't you train that out of them? Or why are you letting them be lazy? All of those things Right. We had control over who we hire. We have control of how we train them. We have control over the day to day management that we provide. All of those things are on us. And to walk yeah. around continuing bitching, saying, well, and the, the response, the natural response is, well, I just need warm bodies. And I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that one, too. <laughs> so I've got some very exciting news to share this January 2024, January 14th to the 16th. I am hosting my first live in-person event. We're doing these now twice a year. January will be the P3 Marketing Summit. Then in July, we're going to host the P3 Leadership Summit. Tickets are now on sale for the P3 Marketing Summit. Again, January 2024, right now, Premier Access Early Bird Tickets. If you're listening to this in October, before the end of October, if you get your tickets, they are $297 apiece, three, less than $300 apiece. You can come be a part of this three-day event. You got a welcome party, two full days of workshops, five different workshops in all, plus a big party on the second night. <laughs> Listen, open bar, food, tons of insights over the course of these uh, two days of workshops. I'm co-hosting the event with a friend and colleague of mine named Rev Ciancio. If you don't know Rev, go look him up, find him on Instagram, find him on Facebook, find him on TikTok. Do a quick Google search. You will see this guy is serious. He is hands down the best restaurant marketer I know. I am overwhelmed uh, to be able to partner with him on this. Uh, we're being uh, promoted and sponsored by Marquis. Milagro and Ovation. You're going to hear from founders and some of their people to talk about how they view the world of marketing. And again, five different workshops over three days. You're going to love this event. You can get your tickets by clicking the link in the show notes. Go get your tickets. Limited uh, availability. We're capping the group. Uh, we're capping the attendance at 100. If you go uh, now, you'll see that there are less than uh, 50 tickets left. If you want to be one of those 100 people in the room, you got to get your tickets now. Again, prices go up uh, in November. So if you want to lock in the Premier Access Early Bird pricing, go now. They're less than $300 a ticket. You will not regret it. Look forward to seeing many of you there. Again, that link is in the show notes. Yeah, exactly. I think what's happening now, it's like what, what I'm seeing is like there's this kind of culture of the SOP. Like uh, you write an SOP. I wrote a checklist. I sent an SOP to you. You know, I spent yeah. an hour writing out basically a checklist. I email it to you. 
and then I expect you to do those things. And there's here comes the stick again. I sent that email on September 19th. Why didn't you do it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, why didn't you put it into action? Why didn't you tell people about it? Why didn't you bring a group meeting together and say, okay, here's the way we're going to do it. And it's not going to, it's not an overnight matter. It's I'm going to be well, in this room with yeah. you until we get this process figured out. And again, I'm not going to be Mr. I've got all the answers. I'm going to be asking questions. It's got to be, I'm going to listen yeah. to you. How did it work tonight? I just moved the host down. We're putting it over here now. How did it work tonight? It's not just like a declarative moment. Like the host Dan lives here. The doorman stands outside yeah. no matter what. He's got COVID and it's 15 degrees outside and he better be out there. Yeah. You know, it's like, how about a little bit of compassion? And what I think is what we need to fill it up with, Chip, is we need to fill it up with love and we need to fill it up with a love for the business, a love for food, a love for wine. You know, when you, you'll see, you'll be in restaurants yep. now and you talk to the waiters. They've never tried the food. They've never tasted yeah. the wine because we can't do that. We don't do that around here. Well, you know, how's this guy going to sell something beautiful if he hasn't experienced in his body? Yeah. And it's not just enough to give him a pre-shift. He's got to have the experience. I totally agree. You know, Hans, I'll go back just one one tick there that you said. You yeah. know the the SOP culture, right? And I and I yeah. and I I hear what you're saying. I think a lot of the listeners, I think it's going to resonate with the listeners. But here's the here's what Jim Collins would say, right? The leader doesn't do the SOP. The leader says, identifies a problem, says, "Hey, this yeah. thing, you know, are, are, you know, opening openings, uh, you know, are, are not reliable. They're not, we're not consistently uh, ready for the beginning of service. Why do you think that is?" And you ask the team, and they say, "Well, it's because this isn't done. This and this, 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 this." Then you say, "Okay, great." And you delegate to one of your managers and you say, great, would you do me a favor? Would you build an SOP? Would you build a checklist that says how you think it should be open? You delegate that. When you talk about empowerment, that gets buy-in. That gives the manager a sense of ownership. I worked with really great leaders who showed me how to do that. I yeah. saw that and I've done that now. That's how you do it. It actually creates less work for the owner, let's say, or the general manager or the managing partner, whoever that high-level leader is. But by delegating that to other people, many hands make light work. Okay, you do this, you do that, you do that, and you set deadlines. Great, I want you to, I want this in effect by the 15th of the month, so you're going to hand it in to me by the 10th of the month. We're going to review it together, make sure that everything is the way it needs to be. That'll give us five extra days to go back and make edits should we need. And then we're going to pass it out to the staff on the 15th, and it goes into effect. It, it then puts the buy-in and the sense of ownership on them. What do you think needs to be done? And how should I provide oversight? I'm going to need to make sure that you do this. You're going to need to make sure that it gets ex that, you're, that the line-level employees, the bartenders, the barbacks, the bussers, servers, the line cooks do it. What sort of oversight can I give you? What sort of oversight should you be giving them? How do we – what's the best way to do this? When you do that, rather than I need you to do this, this is what's going to happen if you don't do that. When you do that, it gets buy-in. And when everybody has ownership over their own little part of the world, um, it makes a totally, a totally different uh, energy in, in any restaurant. That's easy to do. That's possible to do. Number one, we need checklists and SOPs to make sure that things are done thoroughly yep. the way they're supposed to be done every day, all of that. But you don't have to do them. Other people can do them. And, and when we, we sort of have a fabric, it becomes a mosaic of, um, of everybody's efforts all working towards a common cause. You want to watch people snap together, um, have six managers or five managers all opening a restaurant, all responsible for different pieces. And the leader's job is to provide vision for it. This is what we're trying yeah. to do. How do we do that in the front? How do we do that in the barista station? How do we do that at Expo? How do we do yep. that with receiving and how we uh, yep. how we check inventory, how we check in orders and how we do inventory and pars, how we do ordering all yeah. of all of the different departments. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, if it continues to be a problem, it's like we're pointing at the guy like this guy's not doing his job. No, no, you're not leading them correctly and you're not teaching them correctly. I mean, that's the great gift that we now have because we've done this a while teaching. Like we get to teach, we get to hand over the keys and it's a beautiful thing That's right. that, that gets to happen. You know, Gino Wickman calls it delegating and elevating. Um, and I, I've always, you know, take a little bit of, it's just a personal thing for me. It's like, I'm not elevating myself above you. You know, in fact, 
in a Richard Greenleaf servant leadership, I'm now underneath you, you know, I'm underneath right. you, supporting you, and I'm lifting you as you go through this process of learning. But I need to be there every day to learn, you know. I really got into TPS, Toyota Processing System, because I really had to <clears throat> lean out and create more productivity. And the more I studied Toyota, it was amazing. They would have this boardroom of these guys sitting around in suits, and they're trying to figure out probably revenue and margins and everything. And then a worker comes up from the floor with a, a bolt, you know, that he found on the line that is not working in the per current product, and he shows it to them. But when he enters the room, the worker, the, in this case, the server, the bartender, the dishwasher, when he enters that room, they, they all stand up and they, they bow and they give this guy like his, they want to hear from him, like what's going on? Yep. Hey, the bolt is broken. We're about to make 8,000 cars that aren't going to work very well. We need to fix this. Okay, we're going to stop production right now and we're going to get it. But that answer comes from the worker, you know, the Genshi yep. boots, the boots on the ground. The Gemba is the, the scene of the crime. And that's where we need to be as leaders. You know, there's so much. I was working at a restaurant in Miami and there was, I'll, I'll never forget this. I, I came in after a lunch service because they wanted me to be the dinner guy. And I came in and it was two o'clock and they had a busy lunch service and no tables were bust in the entire place. It looked like a bomb had gone off. And I turned around and the owner, the director of operations, the manager there were like seven of them sitting around on their laptops um yep because they don't want to do the work they don't want to see that yeah and that's yeah oh I, that's 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 just a nightmare that that always scares it's me so that. funny for years as a consultant there's this trick i would do whenever i was brought in by a company and i still do it so here we go i'm giving away one of my one of my tricks which i got from somebody else uh it's it's not my trick it's 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 learned one of the things i do when i um, when i'm brought in to work as a consultant and a lot of times it's like we got to whip our team into shape they're not blah 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 i come in i bring the entire staff together i insist on it. it's the first day our first meeting is everyone together because everyone hates the consultant because they think the consultant's coming in to figure out who's bad at their job and to fire anybody who's bad at their job and i tell them i said if that's what you think that's definitely not the case here i'm helping all of you be better at your job and I want to get to the place where uh, we got to figure out which of the leaders should go. And all the leaders sort of sit up and perk up. And, and I say, it's, it's really serious. I'm going to assume it's, no, it's nobody's fault here. My job is not to fire anybody. My job is to help right. you guys all be better. That being said, we're going to do an exercise. We're going to go around the room. And we're going to do two loops around the room. Everyone's going to tell me one compliment, one thing you love about this restaurant, this company, this your job. Tell me one thing. Give me one compliment for this place, right? And I said, but here's the thing. You can't repeat anything. So if somebody mm. says, oh, we, we get really good, uh, really good flexibility in scheduling, right? And I'll watch 15 heads nod. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. Flexibility and scheduling is off. What happens is that we get 60 different answers. And by the end, it's sort of hard. And by the end, you get like, well, this is sort of a little thing, but... You know, I love late at night, you know, some of the cooks will, you know, if there's like a little fish left over, they'll slice off a little for us and almost make like a little crudo. I'm like, that's cool. Like, that's <laughs> worth acknowledging. And oftentimes it's after a nine hour shift and we can't even we're so bleary eyed. We, we don't realize that. But, yeah, let's talk about that. It's really cool. So I go around the room and say, give me one compliment. No, no repetition. And I say, great, we're going to go all the way around the room and I want to I want you to give me one complaint. But it has to be constructive. You're going to give me a complaint. Yeah. And one, uh, a complaint that you think we could fix. So you're going to give me a solution too, right? So the complaints end up being like, you know, we always stack in the dish pit. We always stack things over here. But I think if we just stacked it over here, it would be so much easier to get in and out of the dish pit. And we write them all down. And I look at the manager and say, you guys take notes on this. We're not going to implement all 60 or 70 things. But usually by the end, we have about 20 or 25 that they go, oh, I never realized this. And it's this idea, this Toyota idea um, where I'm sure this stemmed from. They probably got it from this. It's a, it's a very old, ancient idea. But you go around and say, everybody give a compliment, right? And there's a, there's a lot of love. And then give me a complaint, but tell me a way that we might be able to fix it. Yeah. Immediately, we've got everybody thinking positively and constructively about the organization. And, and what 10 minutes prior was them all nervous to be in the room and arms crossed and I don't want to listen to what this guy is. I don't talk for the first half hour. I don't say anything. It's yeah. them. 
and they largely set the tone for the next week or the next two weeks. I got this through a mentor of mine, a guy who's become a good friend of mine, and I use this all the time now. And you can use this at the at the restaurant level when you do your uh, when, when anybody listening, you do this. You get your staff together once a year for your all staff meeting. Man, start the meeting that way, right? Give them some bagels and lox and some coffee and donuts. You know, do it early one like Saturday morning before you guys open, right? Feed people, wake them up, and then do this. Man, it's a totally different staff. And the rest of the meeting, whatever else happens after that, is a totally different energy from from any other meeting you've had before. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, we 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 have a um, at Rosa Blue. We would have a um, probably biannual um, all hands meeting. We bring everybody together, and then I'm going through the core values. But but what I'm doing is I'm citing like examples of them. You know, like compassion. Yeah. You know, the day that Ricardo came in, and a guest spilled wine all over their shirt. And he went downstairs and he grabbed the shirt that he had just dry cleaned and gave it to the guest so that the guy could be on his first date, literally gave him the shirt off his back. You know what I mean? Like, who yeah. thinks like that? You know, and go around room and cite 10 examples of what you've seen over the last few months of compassion, of inclusivity, of entrepreneurial spirit. And that just gets that room together. And what we would do is then we'd have this Rosso blue pin we had. And then at the end, and, and I would say as far as buy-in, if you want to come and be part of what we're doing, come up, grab one of these pins, and then wear it on your uniform. So when they're wearing that pin, it means something, you know, to them. And yeah, and it's funny we've had guests come in and like, what's that pin? And people have given to the guests, and then whenever the guests come and visit us, they wear the pin. You know, it's it's that kind of we're, thing. We're a tribal. We're tribal people. Affiliation yeah. is real, and and just yeah. some simple acknowledgement. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a reason we all wear uh, we all wear Yankees hats when we go to Yankee Stadium, right? We're yeah. we're all part of a tribe with fifty thousand other people. That, exactly. That's real. Yeah, it is real, and that's 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 creating community, which we all often talk about. That's what we want to do. This is really happening, but you don't create community. What we did is, you know, we take care of one another in the restaurant. Let's take care of one another every single day. We take care of the restaurant, and the byproduct of that is we get get to take care of the guests. We don't have to take care. We get to take care of yeah. the guests. But let's start with this inner circle. And at Rosa Blue, we started with an inner circle. It got it really healthy. Then we was, then we started taking care of our guests. But what happened in the second year is all of a sudden we're spilling into the community and we're involved in Alma Backyard Farms, which is a place that reclaims lives and um, reclaims uh, uh, property and, and turns it into farmland. And and suddenly, you know, you're doing something that's just beyond um, chasing nickels and dimes. Although that, you know, and here we get back to Jim Collins. It's, it's the genius of and, right? It's not only creating community and great culture, but also chasing profitability. And what the, inspires me about you, Chip, is you're saying, hey, guys, let's shoot for 20%. Because what I've seen over and over is we're... we're um, we're making ourselves really small in this industry. We're starting to accept 3% profitability. We're, we're accepting, like, let's just break even. Worse than that, we're not even caring about it. We're just like, let's just throw money at it, and then it'll work itself out. Really? Yeah. We're going to operate without a scorecard? We're going to operate without looking at our metrics? We're not going to be uh, disciplined in terms of what we need yeah. to do? We're going to go free-for-all here and just uh, shoot from yeah. the hip and for the past no and there's an excitement around that and that's another thing to bring to your people like hey guys we got a scorecard we got a target we're keeping score here and we're going to win we're going to look at the scoreboard so, at the end of the year and we're going to be 15 percent profitability yeah. aiming for 20 north star yep so i want to i want to get into that um because i don't think we do enough of that um and i do think profitability is the goal i think anybody listening to this if you come from the industry, if you've been in the industry long enough, you have to hear this. Your parents and your grandparents, right, the generation before and, the, and, and two generations prior, they would not have gotten into this industry if it meant 5, 6, 7, 8% profit. They were able to have, 60 years ago, 45, 50% prime cost. 
it, it just it was av- it was available to them. Um, it yep. was possible. Not so much anymore, right? When I started in the industry, I don't know, when I came to the city 20 years ago, when I started managing 17, 16 years ago, we were targeting 50, 55. It's, it's just not possible anymore. Now, we're, if, we, if we hit 60, uh, we're, we're very fortunate. That's the new number, 60% prime. Um, anybody who tells you differently, um, it's just not realistic across the board. Some markets, yes. Some concepts, yes, you That's can. Right. But 60 is, the, 60 is the new 50. But it's too hard to not make money. And again, to be really clear, the generation before and two generations before would not have gotten into this, would not have gone to the effort of opening a restaurant if there was no clear path to making money and good money. So what I'm asking for or what I'm suggesting when I say 20 percent, I'm just trying to get back closer to where your parents and grandparents were when they started, because that's that's what makes a a worthwhile business. Six percent. Right. The average restaurant in this country makes between a million, a million and a half. You're going to make 60 to 90 thousand dollars a year split between two, three, four partners. What's the what's the point? There are better ways to make 10 or 15 thousand dollars over the course of the year than working 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. That's where I come from. And I just watch people who are too good at what they do and work too hard um, day in and day out to get anything less than I think what they really, really deserve. So. That's my diatribe. That's my, I want to flip it it. on you. And you talk to me about how you think about profitability because you wouldn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation if this didn't resonate with you. So um, I assume we are on the same page here. Talk to me about how you think about profitability personally and how you get all your managers focused on profitability. You talked about that scorecard. Talk talk to me about the scoreboard. Um. Our scorecard was so fun. Every Friday afternoon, we're sitting around, events manager, chef de cuisine, um, everybody owns a number, you know? You own front of the house labor, and if you're not hitting that number, explain to us why, you know? Um, And at first, that sounds very um, like the stick, right? It sounds a little bit scary, but it isn't, because all of a sudden, like you said, people are empowered. And they're owning the front of house labor number. They're owning the back of house labor. They're owning food costs. This person's owning uh, wine, um, beverage, liquor. Um, and and then we're just going through those numbers. And then you just start to see this momentum. And 2019, we really had this in the last, like, two quarters. We were just like, it was like riding a horse and everybody was into it. And there were some weeks where we we're just, like, flying off the charts. And then other weeks where we we're a little bit down. But I'll never forget this, Chip. In the last month of 2019, we had to hit certain numbers um, to get to where we needed with our profitability. And everybody just doubled down. In the hardest month of the year, right, December, everybody just was focused. Everybody knew what they needed to do. And we celebrated, you know, we, we got excited. I mean, we didn't pop bottles of champagne, but it's that inner thing, you know. It was just inner. Mm-hmm. I knew it. I knew I could do it, and I did it. And once you that's self-realization, that's self-actualization, that's a reason to be around and that's a reason to come to work. And that's something that, um, you know, uh, it just, it it almost takes away, you know, I I, I don't know where this came from, but there there can be a lot of shame around being in this business, you know, and it's just like, I, I, I just, why am I here? Why am I, why is this guy, you yeah. know, running yeah. a tech company and, and selling it for $30 million? Why am I here? I'm waiting tables, you know, like, but boy, when you, when you get something inside of you that you know you accomplished with a group of people, that's very special, um, very fulfilling. It's, it's fulfilling. I think it's so funny you bring up this, you know, why am I here, you know, taking care of somebody who just sold his thing for 30 million or 300 million or whatever. And I think the comparison, right, is unhealthy. Um, yeah. I, I, because I think uh, that's not how most people, when you look at what the average household makes yeah. in this country, right, what the average household, even in New York City. So again, I've been here in New York yeah. City for 21 years now. Um, I live just outside the city, but for all intents purposes, um, this is the market that I'm in. Um, when you look at the average household income of an, uh, of an average New Yorker, right? Yeah, we've got the 1%. We've got the 0.01% that live in New York City. But we also got a whole bunch of regular people. And the fact that 
you could come right into the industry as a busser and make pretty good money. You could yeah. be a server and make pretty good money, right? These are these are six-figure jobs. You could be a server working five days a week, right, at a decent restaurant, and that's a six-figure job, yeah. right? That's that's not unusual. You could work fine dining as a captain, and it could be a really could be two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, there there are people who make that in our industry, and with no special training, with just a sense of curiosity, and um, if you're willing to apply yourself and learn what you need to learn to level up continuously, um, you don't have to go to a four-year school. You don't have to. There's nothing that you need to learn that can't be learned within the construct of a really good, good restaurant, and that's amazing. So yeah, yeah. are you going to make thirty million dollars one year? Maybe not. Maybe you're going to open. Maybe you're going to open your own restaurant and eventually turn that into a chain of restaurants. And yes, then that path is there. Yeah. That's going to be 10 that's years down the line, 20 years down the line. But let's be really clear. There is a path to that. There is a path to that. You can be a busser, become a server, become a manager, become a general yeah. manager, become a director of operations, yeah. become a regional manager, then become a partner in a restaurant, then open a series of restaurants. That that path is there. That's a that's a 10-year track, 15-year track that's not difficult to imagine. you got to apply yourself. you got to learn as much as you can. But that's yeah. there. You could be that $30 million tech tycoon just doing <laughs> what you're learning to do in the restaurant. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, again, you're sort of a testament to this. Started yeah, up in the industry, worked your way up, eventually now own a handful of partner and a handful of restaurants. And that's, there you go. Like, there you go. That's, that's, um, there's the, there's the path in front of you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for that reminder. That's fantastic. Talk to me about, because we're closing down on our time here together, but I want to talk about marketing a little bit talked about mm -hmm. people talked a bit about profitability right this and again this sense of ownership was sort of the common thread there talk yeah. to me about marketing there's a specific way that i think about marketing but i'm constantly trying to learn how other people think about marketing how do you look at marketing when you're getting ready to open a place how do you think about marketing when the place has been around for three four five years what are the things that you do day in and day out talk to me a little bit about uh, about that I think the day in day out is, um, you know, for me building guests for life and, and Hey, they came in the door. Let's get them. We got them one time. Let's get them a second time. Let's pay attention to these first time guests who are coming in. Let's, let's really like go over that in our pre-shift and let's be really focused on these guests. Let's get them to come back a second time. Um, let's make sure that this first experience is exceptional and the second one because I've always believed that, you know, once I get them in four times, they're a guest for life. And that's that's what we built at, at Rosso Blue. We, we always have that. And, and now we have, um, you know, an ambassador program there where we're just capturing the people who always come, who 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 make up 80 percent of our, our, our revenue. Uh, it's our repeat guests, you know, who keep coming back. So let's just take that's what I can control. You know what what I love about what you talk about which is 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 almost you know I was thinking about it this morning it's it's almost like you're you, you're um a little bit subversive because you're saying like hey we can hit 20% because the mindset has been like no we can't and then it's also like hey marketing isn't just what you put on Instagram you know that's where we've gotten to now with the mentality it's just like well what's on Instagram and there's what three percent of 100%. your following actually saying. I mean, it's just like, and we're all putting our energy into that, and and um, I just think that that's just so not well thought out. Um, so I'm, you know, always looking for. You know, new and ways. what's funny about the Instagram yeah. thing is that, like, yeah, I I follow Rosa Blue, right? And every time Rosa Blue shows up in my feed, I go, oh man, I'm one of the three percent. And I'm not in the market. There's no way I'm going to go dine yeah, there tonight, right. tomorrow, next month. I'm I'm not. I mean, I'm in L.A. maybe twice a year because my brother lives there. Um, so, OK, maybe I'll go next time I'm in uh, I'm in L.A., but I'm not the target market. So you can't even you can't even say that the three percent of your followers who see a feed are even in a position to be a customer 
anytime in the near future. It's it's yeah. why I feel it's just so uh, so unreliable. And and you're right. It's just it's not a marketing plan. It's a tool we can utilize, but let's make sure we're using it. You know, let's make sure we're using the hammer to actually hammer nails, not the not to screw in the I, not to screw I, in the screws. Uh, what's been very effective for us at Rosso Blue is. Um, Email marketing, you know, our email blasts, man. We've got this already at people who want to be with us. Now let's send out that email blast about that wine dinner we want to have on Wednesday or that wine tasting that we're going to have. Yep. And when they come in for the wine tasting, hey, 10% off dinner tonight, you know, it's a Monday night. Like they come in for the wine tasting, hey, 10% off dinner, they, they come down, they sit, they're refamiliarized with the menu. Um, Marketing is actually, you know, should be super inspiring. You know, at the current place that I work right now, we've 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 done a really good job of building some stability. Um, but when you bring in the marketing aspect, it allows for uh, agility. You know, like, hey, let's come up with a special. Let's think creative. You want to be creative. You want to be in this. Thing. Like, we've got to get creative with what we're doing. So let's come up with these cool wine dinners. Yep centered around wine from Piemonte, wine from Toscano, wine from um, Emilia Romagna. Let's make the, the specials that the chef loves to make. Let's have these wine dinners. Let's see what happens. And But for us at Rosso Blue, boy, that email marketing, uh, it, it just, it, it, did, it does us a world of good. And it really helped us with the pandemic when we were doing, you know, box bento boxes of seven courses meals putting them in a beautiful box and they were coming and picking them up because they wanted the experience and they were dining at home i love it uh i agree i think an engaged email list is um is a restaurant's most valuable asset because you own the connection to your guest and um you will if you do it right if you maintain that connection and nurture those relationships um they will be there for you over and over and over again um, Hans, I've appreciated the time that you gave me. I've got five questions that I ask everybody who appears on the show. Uh, are, are you willing to answer my five questions? Let's do it. Okay, great. Uh, first question. Uh, tell me, what's the last great meal you had? Oh, that's a good one. You know, I, I'm thinking about um, Capra in, in Santa Monica at the um, proper hotel. And uh, I recently found out that Kevin Bames part of that. And... Um, Boy, that was yummy. Awesome. Love it. Uh, tell me, what's the last great hospitality touch you've had? Not the last one you gave, but what's the last time that really great hospitality happened to you? Oh, that's that's beautiful. Um, you know, it, it, it happened um, this morning at the, the, the coffee shop. Um, the, the, the sweet woman who works there in the little hat and... The greeting, the smile. She knows what I order, and um, she just started making it for me while I was waiting in line. And and then I come around the corner, and she had it ready. She's like, "Oh, it's there for you." Um, being known, being Love seen, it. being heard. Um, it's uh, it's there. It's been said, right? Our job is to make people feel important because because uh, yeah. they are. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Uh, third third question: If a genie came down, could grant you one wish as it relates to our industry, just one. Uh, what would you wish for? Uh, as it relates to this conversation, it, it would to, to get that feeling about being at my mom's table um, and have that be in the restaurant, to have it less be about the this, this stick and have it le be more about love, um, to have more women working in this industry as leaders recognized and given the opportunities because the most successful partnerships I've ever had in, in restaurants are, are, are with women. And um, there's a nurturing, there's um, a professionalism and a care that, that, uh, that they, they are able to give that sometimes the macho, um, testosterone-driven uh, world of chefdom. Um, I, I don't know, I don't, I, don't, I don't buy into that anymore. I want the future to be uh, a little bit softer and gentler. Isn't it amazing that most of us, our first, um, our first introduction to the kitchen and the food and uh, hospitality and all of that, certainly uh, you shared uh, about, your, about your, uh, your experience, your history, but it is, it, for most of us, um, it's mom in the kitchen or, gra or, or grandmothers in the kitchen. 
And right? the further we get into the industry, it's uh, it's really male driven. And I find that really unusual. Um, I, I right, exactly. And they weren't yelling at anybody. And I don't remember my mom yelling at anybody in the kitchen. You know, <laughs> I just don't remember nope. that. Part of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. Because you're because you're making you're making food for the people you love. Yes. Um, all right. Fourth question. What would you tell someone who's about to open their very first restaurant? Oh, don't do it. <laughs> um, do you know the number one answer I get? You know, you know the number answer I get? It's that. <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, um, go get somebody who's 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 gone down this path and have them advise you. Ask for help. And because there's a lot that if, if you're a first timer, there's a lot that you don't know. And the margins are too thin to, um, you know, every day counts, every hour counts, you know, uh, so look for an experienced hand like yourself, you know, have a, have a great consultant lead you down that path and get you going. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really good advice. Um, all right. Fifth question. Um, I want you to tell me, uh, about the future of restaurants. I want you to look five years down the line and tell me something that's coming that other people may not see coming. Hmm. I know that for us, it's been um, that you need buy-in from this second tier of um, developing leaders. It's not just the people at top. You have to take care of your second level. So we have Chef de Cuisine, sous chef at Rosso Blue, and we're we're giving them a little piece of the pie. You know, we want to build their future as well. So I think the future, as we start to think about AI and all this stuff and replacing people, I, I want to invest in people and have people be part of the company and not just hourly and tipped, but be part yep. of this growth opportunity that we have. Then you're able to empower, you're able to learn the business and we're able to grow together. Um, I think that would be amazing to manage the growth artfully and with a lot of heart going forward. I love that. And you think that's going to be so more, the, so hard, more right? common. I mean, it's so yeah. hard what we do. We're on our feet, man. We're in there. We're doing it. You know, these are 14 hour days. It's just, it'd be nice to be recognized in, in some small way. And to participate. Again, we're, t we're talking about participation, buy-in, ownership. I think that's the common yes. thread all throughout this conversation. When we talk about the people, we talk about profit, when we talk about how we market. Um, I think that's the common thread straight through. Um, Hans, I appreciate your time. Thank you for uh, giving to us. Thanks for sharing your insights, your uh, experiences. Um, you got uh, an audience here, thousands of restaurant owners and operators um, from really all over the world. We're in 65 countries at this point. Um, any last words of wisdom, anything you want to share with them? Well, you know, if the pandemic took you out of this business and um, there's there's a real need for you to come back, you know, um, maybe you went and did something else and maybe you're not satisfied there either. But come back. We need you. And it would be wonderful to have you um, working in our, our industry. Yeah, for sure. And to all the leaders listening who are in the industry, um, I think that's something you can take and, and, and go find. I think we've got to find ways to attract people back, to entice people back. They went somewhere and they are not far away. And I think that's they right. would come back if there was a if there was a reason to come back. Um, where can go people? Uh, where can people go to connect with you? Learn what you're uh, what you're doing, what you're up to now and next and to come. Uh, where should we send people? Yeah, well, I'm I'm currently um, helping out at um, Photographisco, which is a museum um, in uh, on Park Avenue in Gramercy, and there's a beautiful restaurant inside. It's called Veronica, which I get to be part of. We also have a speakeasy called Chapel Bar next door and um, a cafe in Bar Veronica. It's a beautiful space. So I'm in New York City um, and also in Los Angeles at Rosso Blue, which is a beautiful restaurant in the um, um, fashion district in downtown. Excellent. Um, I really appreciate your time. Really appreciate your insights. Hans, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Chip, you too. I'm a big fan. Keep doing what you're doing. It helps. Thank you. I appreciate it.
Once again, I want to thank Hans for taking time out of his day to sit and chat with me. All those links are in the show notes. Hope you got something out of this episode. If you did get something out of this episode, if you get something out of the show, you could do me a really big favor. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a five-star review and rating. Uh, help tell people what you get out of this show, why you tune in every week, and why you think they should tune in. That, more than just about anything else, will help me move the needle, will help me grow this audience, and, and help me do more episodes and, and keep this show going. Going on Again, if you've gotten something out of this episode or any other episode, please go leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it a whole lot. Thank you very much for tuning in every single week. I know you got a lot of great options out there. I appreciate you spending part of your week with me. Thank you, and I will see you next time. <laughs>